Kia ora koutou and welcome to Alice's Soapbox, where we're getting loud for women in sports. Today, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Claire Cooper and the wonderful world of women's fencing. Let's learn about how a holiday program turned into a lifelong passion and how we can make this athlete's Olympic dream come true. So, let's begin. We ask three questions at the beginning of uh, every podcast. And the first one, of course, being Ngo Hiakwe, which is, where are you from? So I was originally born in Canada in a city called Calgary. And I grew up until I was about three in a small town called Cochrane. Um, and then we moved to Te Whanganui Atara when I, like I said, just before I was three and lived here until I was 18 and then I moved down to Ototahi until I finished uni so that was about five years and then I moved back up to Tepanganui Atara about a year ago so um, I very much consider myself as from Aotearoa but there is that really special connection for me to be from Canada as well and especially come from such a I guess small place. Yeah and and so the second one there for you is Nawaikwe which is who are you of? So my mother is Dorian, she's from Canada, and then my father is Jeff, he is from um New Zealand, and I have one older brother. So we're um I guess descended from a lot of um Irish, well Scottish uh sort of stuff, but I guess in terms of my general Fano and who I would consider I'm from is very much my family. Uh, and as well, my extended family and some really close family friends. Um, I was actually saying to my mom today that, yeah, I don't really talk about your close friends as your close friends. They're just auntie and uncle to me. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Always room for more family, eh, rather than less. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think I've more like added on aunties and uncles and cousins than, you know, blood relatives at this point. <laughs> yeah. Or, hey, nothing wrong with collecting a bigger support system. Um, yeah. Now, the the last question for you here to just start us off to set this tone is Mawaikwe, which is for whom do you exist? That's a big question. Um, But I guess to narrow it down into a very simple thing, it would be, for me, it's just kindness. So kindness in every aspect of my life. So whether that is with my sport, whether that's with my job, my personal life, um, I would say that that's sort of the key underpinning thing for me. And I at my mum's house there's this thing on the wall that says no act of kindness is ever wasted and I think that's something that I quite like to carry through and apply to everyday life for me. I'm I'm tempted to say something cheeky there which is kindness poking someone with a sword. (laughs) Yeah (laughs) it's quite ironic I will admit sometimes the bruises are just like oh gosh that's not at all kind (laughs) (laughs) but also like uh, you're saying your um, mum is Canadian that is probably the cliche of Canadians isn't it too that that kindness yeah it is I once well we go there about every five years to see family and um, I think I would have been maybe about 17 I went and I got in a genuine sorry argument with a lady because she opened the door for me and I was like, oh, sorry, no, you go. And she was like, no, 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 sorry, you go. And it was just back and forth. And mum was in the store wondering where I was. And I was like, oh, sorry. Um. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today and for talking about something that, look, I don't think many of us know about. But isn't that cool? 
this is yeah. you know now gives us a whole other opportunity to learn some stuff and i'm i'm really excited about that um i was a kid that grew up dreaming to be a pirate dreaming to be a knight of the round table me and my sisters watched the age inappropriate um three musketeers the like r16 <laughs> version oh yeah um, yeah so I would love to watch that movie now. I wonder how it stands up. Yeah. <laughs> how on earth did you get into a, a thing like fencing, which isn't putting up fencing people. That's what we call sword <laughs> fighting. Um, we were in Canada and um, we were on a trip to see my family and my brother is six years older than me. So I was 10, he was 16 and he was kind of getting to that age where he was thinking about university, didn't know what he was wanting to do. Um, and the last thing you want to do when you're going to look at your university is bring along your 10 year old sister who's going to be like, I'm tired. Um, so my mum and my auntie, my auntie's son, my cousin, um, he did a little bit of fencing. And so my aunt went, oh, well, just put her in this holiday program with um, our local fencing club. It's really good. I think Claire would like it. Um, and so my mum and my auntie sort of came up with that and put me in that while my brother was looking at universities and I loved it. It was about a week long. I was with this absolutely amazing coach. She was actually uh, an Olympic gold medalist for China. Um, she was nicest lady ever, most terrifying lady ever, and I just loved every second of it. And then I came back to New Zealand. I kept up with it for a couple months and then I like a lot of kids got some really bad growing pain. So I just stopped every sport was like, nah, I'm, I'm not doing anything. And when I was about 14 or so, um, I just kind of remembered it again. I thought, Oh, I want to do a sport. I'll, I'll pick that up again. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I came to do fencing. I, I know a lot of people have a really cool story about how they, you know, watched all sorts of sword fighting when they were kids or Pirates of the Caribbean. And mine was, mine was trying to get me out of the house so my brother could, <laughs> could go explore without me. <laughs> a, a, a very fortuitous babysitter that ends up, Absolutely. you know, ch changing the course of your life. So interesting, eh? Because, you know, as much as fencing might not be a sport that people are as familiar with, what they will be familiar with is that entry point, right? Like a lot of yeah. The time the sports that we make our way into is because of that farmo connection, right? And that yeah, interesting that that's also the case for you. Is that is that something that you come across often in um, fencing? Is it something that like families tend to do? Yeah, so there's a lot of the kids who um, start fencing if their parents fence is really common. Um, I know a lot of kids who are either a little bit younger than me, a little bit older than me. My coach actually, his mum fence. That's why he fences. Because once you're in, it's sort of like you go, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And you just want those around you to share it. Um, and to be honest, kids love it. Like, I mean, adults love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> but kids, there's just something so powerful for them about giving them a sword and going, you can hit your friend. <laughs> and they love it. They love it. Understandably. Talk me yeah. through it. How do, how, does, how do you actually, like, how, what does a match look like? Is there, okay, let me go back one step further. Is there different like styles of fencing, first and foremost? Yes. So there's three different weapons. So mm -hmm. um, you're divided into male and female. And then there's three different weapons. So there's foil, epée, saber. So I guess the best way to describe foil is you've got like a metal vest that you wear. So your arms are cut out, your arms cut out, uh, your head, sorry, is cut out. And then it's just your chest. And it's a button at the end of... I guess the weapon and you're trying to hit the um 
I guess the vest is mm. really it. Um, there's a little bit of uh, rule around who gets the point when and why they get it and all of that. Saber is very much the same thing, except you can sort of slash. So you hit them with the side of the weapon. And again, you've got that sort of uh, silver vesty thing, but it, it does include your arms and your head. Um, and again, you've got that rule system, which says who can get the point when. And then Epe, which is the one that I do, is you wear all white, so you wear all your fencing gear that I'm sure people will have seen uh, if you just Google fencing. And it's, again, on the end of the um, weapon, there's a little button, and you can hit absolutely anywhere from top of your head to the bottom of your foot to your hand to your backhand, everywhere. Um, and there's basically no system around that with rules it's basically if you hit you get the point if you both hit at the same time you both get a point um i like it because it's a bit simpler <laughs> yeah. um i like it when i get the hit and i can keep the hit um yeah now are there sensors in this is this how we mark the fit or is there someone watching you eagle eyes to see oh they hit them there so basically what happens is your weapon is electric so like oh. i said there's like a button at the end um, I'm just speaking purely on Epe at the moment because the other two, I'm not even going to get Fair into enough. those. I don't fully understand them. <laughs> yep. um, but there's, it's basically like a circuit. So the weapon itself has a button at the end. You wear a um, plug. So you wear a big long plug that goes from your wrist all the way down your arm, down your side of your body. And it plugs into like a box <laughs> that is all the way down the end of the piece. So the big long thing. Uh, it's called the paste and then that has a wire that goes all the way to a middle box and it's attached to a couple of lights and if the button gets pushed on anything it completes the circuit and your light lights up and that's how they know that you've hit um so they used to do it as you know people had eagle eyes looking oh, you've hit and i think traditionally i only found this out recently um, I think traditionally you were supposed to wear white because the way you used to be able to tell it in, you know, back hundreds of years ago was um, if blood came up, oh, that yeah. was how you knew you got hit. That was why yeah. it had to be white. That's why modernized fencing, it doesn't have to be anymore. Um, but yeah, so it's like a big circuit that you connect. So if you're a fencer, you tend to be really good with um, like tiny electrical <laughs> faults in your things because you never know what's gone wrong and where because you you're wearing two pieces of equipment and you're using another three those outfits they're like the kind of beekeeper thing i've seen eh because you got the yeah. the mesh face and everything yeah is the white is the white something that people have to wear is this yes and is this something that women are challenging because we've seen that in other sports right that there's been a movement away because so many of them had like white as a default we're talking cricket um in my sport of rugby a lot of shorts were white for years and years um and we're slowly seeing that change has there been any movement within fencing to consider that there actually has so um it's actually interesting you say that. A couple of years ago, there was a movement to see if people wanted to change the whites, because you just call them your whites, um, into colored pieces. So you're, you are allowed to actually wear them. They're completely legal. You're allowed to wear whatever color you want, I think. Um, definitely things like dark blue you're allowed to wear. Um, and it's very much up to the person. So even internationally, I believe they've actually previously done that. Um, and that can be for men and women. So men and women wear the exact same everything. The only difference is women wear a chest protector, which is just like a um, like a plastic 
exactly what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> men don't, and that's the only difference. But um, yeah, it's interesting because there's some really big, uh, I guess, divisions of opinion on it because um, there's the mindset of putting women in a sport where you are forced to wear white, where you're getting athletes to compete in that period of where they will be menstruating. Um, and making them wear white is just not fair. Um, and it puts a lot of younger younger girls off of it as well. They get embarrassed. They get worried. Um, and it's a very real thing. And it happens to even the highest level of athletes. Um, but then on the opposite side, people are saying, well, we don't want to have too many colors coming through because then it takes away from that, like, you know, fencing. This is what fencing is. Um, and it's, yeah, it's one of those things where, a lot of the opinions that you want should be from women, um, and a lot of them aren't. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a surprise. The patriarchy is real and everywhere. Like, <laughs> Isn't it always interesting, though, these debates that go on and, and where those pressure points come from? Because, you know, you do also hear at different times um, people can have an attachment to, I guess, like what their uniform is and had they grown up seeing people wear it, like they dream of wearing that for themselves. I mean, I guess yeah. the power of choice, right? is always going yeah. to be a good thing. If, we, if we're letting people have that ability to customise what they're wearing so that they're comfortable, that's got to be good. Yeah. Now, now, straight away I'm thinking, that all sounds expensive. Like if I'm playing different sports, I might have, I don't know, just a ball and some boots that I might need to get amongst, and usually the ball is given to me if I turn up at a game. Is this kit that you've got to obviously have for yourself, right? Like you have your own set. How much is a is a set like that to get into, and how does is that one of the barriers, I guess, to people getting involved? Yeah, it's absolutely a huge barrier of entry. Um, for me, even when I started, it was a big barrier of entry. Um, I was really lucky that my fencing club provides stuff that you can borrow. Uh, so up until I needed to, not needed to, but up until I decided to go overseas, I didn't actually really own any of my own gear. I just borrowed it, but. It is very expensive if you want to buy your own stuff. Um, just the weapon itself often costs 350 New Zealand dollars, sure. and that's yeah. one. You're supposed to have two at least, at best four. That's just one piece of equipment. Um, you've got to have wires. You've got to have fixing equipment, and that very quickly gets pricey. And then when you actually get into what you're wearing, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so yeah. your mask, which is the sort of beekeeper thing, uh, that can cost anywhere from 300 New Zealand dollars to 500 New Zealand dollars. Yeah. Um, and then your whites, depending on the brand, cost anywhere from 800 New Zealand dollars to about 2,000 New Zealand dollars. So they're very oh, pricey. Yeah. 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 And this is why you have pretty much from the get-go, right, been working all your jobs to be able to fund your fencing habit. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So when I, I started when I was about 14 and like I said, the club was really good. They supply everything. I borrowed absolutely everything. I was able to compete. There's some really funny photos from when I was about 15 and I'm wearing gear that doesn't fit me. And it's clearly for a man because it's flat at the front and it's just a whole thing. Um, but when I decided that I really wanted to compete and I really wanted to get into it, I, I did have to purchase my own things. So from about 16, I've always worked about two or three jobs. Um, at any one time I think this past year has actually been the first time that I've ever worked one job since I was about 16 um, so 
small jobs like coaching, waitressing, front of housing. Um, I used to do housekeeping, stuff like that, just to just to be able to afford it. Um, because yeah, it is a huge barrier of entry, and uh, it's something that you can't go without. And especially if you're wanting to go overseas and get to those bigger competitions, you have to bring your own stuff because it has to have your name and your country plastered all over it, and it's very personalized to you. Um, luckily, when you do buy it you don't have to replace it for a number of years so uh that is a pro uh (laughs) pricey but it lasts for years i know people who have owned their thing um their fencing equipment for 10 plus years and it's in near new condition right okay yeah so it's interesting though isn't it because you have this sport that you love you have to put this work in to be able to afford to play it but also i imagine there is a tipping point at that point though, right? Because also you want to be able to put your other time into training for that sport. And so, yeah. you know, keeping that balance in such a way, like how do you find, how do you find the time clear? Do you not sleep <laughs> or what happens? Uh, for a while I didn't. <laughs> um, I, yeah, like a lot of athletes, I usually have to give up stuff. So when I was in university, a lot of what I didn't do was I wouldn't, I would do some social things, but a lot of my time went into my training. So I guess the day in the life of student Claire was uh, I'd wake up, I would start my morning lectures, and then I would have training probably middle of the day, lunchtime, go back to a bit more lectures, some study, and then I'd have training in the evening. And then most nights I would start maybe about 5 p.m., 6 p.m., and then sometimes go until 1, 2, 3 a.m. Um, and work. So I would work at a bar normally because they were the ones that were open in that time period, um, waitressing, stuff like that. And then post-grad, very similar, except the training was kind of whenever I wanted just because I was able to get up, leave my office because all I was doing was sitting on a computer typing. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely definitely you have to make the sacrifices. So, you know, a lot of the time when you'd have people going out to do things at uni, I often would be training or I'd be working. And that was just a choice I made. And I'm really happy I made it because I love what I do. But yeah, definitely at times you get a, maybe a little less sleep than you'd want. Or at times you have to put your foot down and say, no, I'm actually in my 20s. I want to go hang out with my friends. And that's more important for my mental health than grinding every single day of every single year to um, do this and now I'm very lucky I'm in a position of having a full-time job and I again very similar wake up go to work training in the evening um, but that study in there uh, doesn't exist anymore so work hours can stay in work hours which is lovely and that gives me a little extra time from you know taking care of my mental health seeing the people that are important to me and yeah just general overall having a bit more balance yeah um this this job you are doing now tell me about that what what do you what do you work in Claire? what do you do for a day job <laughs> so i am a speech language therapist so i work with uh children uh and i work for the ministry of education so i get to go out and sort of have a chat with everyone make some connections um meet the child and i guess from there try and come up with a plan that suits that child and that um, environment the best it can. Um, And yeah, I absolutely love it. I studied for five years to become speech therapist. um, And while it was quite 
you know, five years is a long time. The outcome has been absolutely amazing for me. I love it. What what drew you to that? It is it is a niche thing. Again, you love yeah. a niche. Yeah, this is what I'm learning about you. But yeah. you know, what 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 pulled you into speech therapy? So I like I said, I live in lived and lived in Tefanganui uh, Tara. And when I was 17, I was like every other 17 year old, or most of them. And I was like, I kind of want to move away from home. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to do it away <laughs> from my family. <laughs> I loved them to bits, but I was ready to spread my wings. And I was looking at things that I couldn't do in Wellington. So I was looking at um, degrees that I thought I would like that I couldn't do. So that would give me a good excuse as to why I needed to leave. So I um, went to all these information evenings. And one day I was at one for the University of Canterbury and speech therapy came up and my mom went, oh, you'd be good at that because you talk a lot. And I went, yeah. (laughs) So I stumbled into it kind of on the same lines of fencing (laughs) where it was kind of for another reason, but I ended up absolutely loving it. Um, So I'm very lucky that I managed to find passion both in my career and my sport. How many, like, it must be fun every now and then when people, I guess, know nothing of that part of your life, Claire. You're kind of like a superhero, right? And that you're just doing, living your day job, and then you're just like, they're like, oh, what were you up on the weekend? You're like, oh, I'm just like the New Zealand champion of my sport now. Like, no big deal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I had quite a funny experience because when I, so last year I went to World Championships in Italy. And I was, I was absolutely stoked to go. I was so grateful for the opportunity. I had an amazing time. Um, it just fueled me with this, like, I want to be the best kind of thing. It was absolutely amazing. But I did have to take time from work. Uh, and normally, because I have such um, a lot of my job is relationship building, I was in a few kindergartens and, I, and schools. And I said, oh, look, I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks. Um, I'm going away. And naturally, you ask people, Going and I went um I'm going to Italy and I, I've been told I'm a bit too humble at times because I would just stop it I'm I'm going to Italy and they go oh my gosh you're going on a three-week vacation to Italy that's amazing and I kind of got well yeah it is amazing I mean I'm getting to go to Italy I'm very grateful but it's um, it's for a competition <laughs> and the response I got from all the teachers all the um all my colleagues was just like, you're going to world championships in a sport? What What are you doing? <laughs> you're like that meme that has the person that's standing in the corner of the party, right? And the two people, that, like the other people are talking, like nobody knows here that I'm a New Zealand champion. Yeah, that's, that is it. But yeah, like no one, I do that on a plane actually, because I, we have a New Zealand tracksuit. I almost never wear it. Um, when I'm traveling, if I am with a group, I will wear it. But if I'm just by myself, I don't like to draw attention. Um, but sometimes I will sit on a plane and I think no one knows that I'm on my way to Asian Zone Championships or something like that. It very is. It, I'm very much a meme in that sense. I mean, I love this humility. It's something that I could never do. If I represented <laughs> New Zealand in anything, you would know about it. You would know about it. If you've listened to however many episodes we've done now of this show, you already know about anything I've achieved in the um, in my sporting life because I will tell you. Um, this mission you're on right now, though, there is you, – you went over to Italy. How did things go for you there, Claire? Uh, it was absolutely mind-blowing. I was just like, whoa, because it was – it was something that I'd only ever seen online. Um, 
before that, I had only ever been to one World Cup and one Grand Prix. Um, so I'd done a lot of zonal events, and that was those are big. Those are really um, they're high level events. But I hadn't been to a world event since I was 19, and I was 23 when I went last year. So not only to be back in that environment, it was a lot, um, but to also know that I was at world championships. I was literally at the pinnacle event that was just amazing um and i was really lucky i was selected for an international training camp for countries that are identified as being uh disadvantaged for fencing so it's a lot of athletes who for one reason or another it's a little bit harder for them to participate so they pay for you to come over um and i was selected and i was stoked i was i think i was the first woman to be selected since 2015 for this scholarship um from new zealand which was I was just stoked. I was just like, oh my gosh, look at me go. Um, and that was incredible. It was, a, I want to say it was a week-long training camp and we got one-on-one um, training from an international coach. He's very, very well-respected, very good coach. We got to train with lots of other athletes who had very similar stories to us. So, you know, I would go and i say, I have a day job and I work with um, a lot of kids and the men from Guyana said, I actually worked with kids with autism that's what I do that's how I pay for my life yeah so it was really cool to make those connections and know that you know we're all in this uh we're all from different countries but we're all on the same mission um and then on the day at world championships I I got really nervous I did not fence my best but I was just so proud that I got there but it was an incredible experience and that I would say shaped my perspective into going into this year being like actually no no matter what, I want to try and go for the Olympics, whether I get um, held back from finances to injury to just not being selected. I want to at least know that I tried. When was the last time that we had a New Zealander fencing in the Olympics? Do you know? Yes, it was 2004. Is a woman called Jess Beer. And she was absolutely phenomenal. Um, she was a really, really amazing athlete. And she, from what I understand, it did basically what I'm trying to do. She put everything into it. She's actually a veterinarian, um, very passionate about animals. And she would study at Massey, drive down to Wellington on the weekends just to train. Um, and she did that every weekend from what I understand. And she moved overseas so that she could get to the qualifying competitions to get that exposure. Um so I'm very much trying to follow in her footsteps because not only was it our last Olympian, but to know that the last one was a woman is really cool. Mm. And I'm sort of going, oh, you know, it'd be cooler if, you know, the next one was too and the one after that and the one after that. <laughs> um, so how, how do you set yourself up to do more fencing? What is, what is the pathway for you? The way that I manage it with fencing is just trying to expose myself to as many events as I can. If I stayed in New Zealand, I would get four national events a year which is nowhere near enough. If I went to New Zealand and Australia to every single national event, I would get maybe eight, nine, roughly. Um, Whereas on the international circuit, they have one or two World Cups, Grand Prix a month for, oh gosh, I want to say seven or eight months. And then they also get satellite events and then they have their own national events. And then there's smaller events all over the place. So. For a lot of those athletes, the big difference there is not that they're training anymore, 
Um, some of them are. Some of them are actually training less than me. Um, some of them, you know, they're not any massively wealthier than me. They're not, um, you know, all of this. It's just they're able to be exposed. And, you know, in terms of that, it's very much trying to get myself at the exposure level they are. So obviously this podcast is called Alice's Soapbox because that's me and I love the soapbox. I love getting up, <laughs> making noise about things. What is the thing that you would climb up onto a soapbox to make sure that people hear you about? I would say my favorite thing to say about fencing is girls are really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Women are amazing at it. And in New Zealand, we've had a huge, huge push in the last, I would say, three years to try and um, make women in fencing at the forefront to recognize not only the fact that women are doing the sport because in a lot of sports as I'm sure you know women are kind of you know <laughs> the 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 male version of the sport is here and the the female version is right back yep. here um, so we're trying to expose it to not only fences but the wider community that yeah, we actually have a lot of women in the sport and they're good. Um, and we've got things like girls only nights to try and encourage, especially some of our younger girls who maybe aren't feeling comfortable enough to, you know, fence the six foot something man um, when they're a 12 year old girl. It's very fair that you don't want to do that because <laughs> it's scary. Um, and, you know, we've been trying to do girls only nights. We have a women's only camp down in Ototahi coming up in a couple of weeks, we've been um, trying to run a sort of bid that I did last year. We, instead of fundraising individually, we fundraise as a team because we cool. said, hey, look, we're actually a female team. That's amazing. Um, even though maybe it's a sport that you see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the adverts around it maybe are a lot of men. It's a huge sport for women. Um, and women are just as good, if not better, than a lot of the male fences too. In my opinion, I'm biased, but <laughs> um, love, you know, in this guy conversation, you're a high performance athlete. You're also the marketer. You're also a coach. You're also a recruiter. You know, all of these things that you are required to be, and wearing all of these hats in order for you and your sport to itself. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to take on, but it's no small feat. Claire, how do I do that? How do I get you to the Olympics? <laughs> So at the moment, I am, I have a give a little, um, which I have been trying to circulate a little bit. Um, however, the big thing that I'm trying to do is run some big fundraising events, um, not only for me, but just to increase the visibility of the sport and try and show people that there isn't, it's not this big um, sport that you have to have an in with. It's It's something that everyone can do. And I've always actually said that anyone can be good at fencing for every reason um so i'm looking at doing a few endurance challenges as fundraisers so um having to give a little as a qr code so that people can donate to it but just having people see it having people contribute to it um having have a go sessions around tefanganui atara um and other main cities if i can get to them um and that just means it's increasing that exposure it's increasing um fencing as a whole but it's also increasing people knowing about what I'm trying to achieve um I'm also looking at getting sponsorships um from different brands different companies and really the big thing that I am hoping for is people to just spread fencing um because while I'm one athlete and while I you know 
really, really want this dream. Ultimately, it's supporting the entire sport is what's going to get me to where I need to be. Well, look, I'm going to make sure that I'm coming along to a taster. I will pull my partner in as well. She runs similar things actually in skateboarding, which there are a lot of of parallels, my friend. Um, Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Um, But I was going to say, we ask all of our um, athletes about their relationships with, you know, their tuakana and their teina, their big and little sisters um, in the sports. And I think you've probably already mentioned her, but who your tuakana might be, the the woman that, you know, when you joined the sport, maybe pulled you in, saw your potential, has supported you or improved your experience within it? Oh, there's so many. Um, Can I have three? Yeah, you can have as many as you (laughs) um so the woman who pulled me into the sport and made me go I can be an absolute boss uh was the woman who ran the training camp at um in Canada um her name is Juji and she is amazing uh she is one of the fiercest women I've ever seen and I was just she's amazing and I at my first ever zonals um really hard competition I was so nervous she was there for some reason. She's wow. a Canadian coach, but she was there. <laughs> um, and she came and watched me, and I just love her. She, she's amazing. I love her to bits. Um, she's definitely been someone who's always very supportive. Uh, Jess Spear, I mentioned her before, would definitely be one of the other ones. She is absolutely an astounding athlete. She, I would say, paved a real big um, way for female fences in New Zealand and showed us that that we can do it um, because, yeah, doing it not only on your own salary, on your own fundraising is amazing, but to do it while you have a career and, you know, just being who you are, she's amazing. She's absolutely phenomenal. And I would say the third one would actually be a person who is one of my teammates. Um, Technically isn't anymore, but I would say she still is. Um, she is Weiling Chen, so uh, she goes by Natalie now. And she, again, was a phenomenal athlete for New Zealand. She was at the forefront. She's incredible, um, such a kind person. And she now actually uh, represents Hong Kong. And, you know, even though we're direct competitors, she is such a kind and inspiring person. And she is phenomenal. And um, she's done so much for women's fencing in New Zealand as well. I would say they're my main three. Um, yeah. There's so many more <laughs> that I can't even count, but they they are the three that spring to mind. That's awesome. And then what about your Tana, your little sisters? Who's someone that's coming through that you're excited about that makes you go, oh, man, I can't wait till she just oh. goes everywhere? There are so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> I There's one or two that definitely spring to mind. Um, one would be a girl called Emily. I coached her uh, when I was in uni, and she is 12 years old now, and she is incredible. She actually went to secondary schools last year. She was, I think she just turned 13, so at that competition she was 12, and she got second. So she got an award for being so young and still getting into the final um she is such a sweet girl she is so so dedicated so motivated it's been such a joy to see her coming through from being I think eight or nine was when I met her to giving her an award at a national event that was amazing and then there's also a few 
younger girls who I um, work with and coach now. There's Imogen and Isabella who I see quite often at my club and they're just phenomenal. The dedication that they have, um, they're taking things in their stride. They're working really hard and yeah, I'm really, really proud of all, all three of those girls. Oh, awesome. The future is bright. The future is Absolutely. bright for, for New Zealand women's fencing. I'm manifesting your number it. one cheerleader. And I know that you will have picked up a lot of fans in this conversation today because they will all be now invested. Beautiful. Rapid fire to finish, my friend. We, oh, okay. We decompress on our way out. Wah, wah, wah. Okay. And I ask you really hard questions here. Like oh, lovely. TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. Who is your favorite team or like favorite sport, I guess, that you haven't played? I would actually say Black Ferns. Yeah. I loved watching them at the World Cup. I was just, I was glued to the screen and I've never really tried rugby. I tried it once when I was a kid and I accidentally knocked someone over and they broke their arm and that put me off of doing it forever because um, I felt so bad. But every time I see them, I think, oh, my gosh, they're powerful. I actually was making my boyfriend last night watch the haka before <laughs> the final. I was like, are you seeing this? <laughs> yeah. What's a sporting event that you most want to attend as a fan? Oh, that's, that's a good one. Uh, all of them isn't a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would actually love to watch women's uh, Olympic weightlifting. Oh, yeah. Or um, I've recently started watching a little bit of strong men and strong women. I love watching the strong women. I would say that going to like a, one of those sort of strength sports, that would, be, that would be incredible. I would love to watch that because it's unreal atmosphere. Yeah. And just what those people can shift. It's incredible. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> I saw this woman today actually on Instagram. It was, she said, 100 kilos by three. And I was like, wow, that's an incredible deadlift. And she cleaned it and pressed it <laughs> three times just in a row. And I was like. Weightlifting is another sport where just people do not realize um, what it is women can do. So I can understand yeah. the overlap for you um, and yep. finding that something of passion as well. Um, Absolutely. Okay. What is, do you have a game day superstition? Do you have something that you do before you cut up and get in the ring? Oh, um, yeah, like get onto the piece. Yeah. Okay. The piece. I... <laughs> oh, yes, I do. I actually have a few little rituals that I do. I always wear extensive jewelry on my backhand. Always. I don't know why, uh, but I wear rings on every single finger. I wear a lot of bracelets and I always wear big hoop earrings, sometimes bigger than this. Um, always. <laughs> and before I jump on, I, you, you have like a mask and I always take both my hands out. So I'll have my weapon. Um, I'll take both hands out or just use the back of my weapon hand. I put my mask on. I hold, not hold my breath. I take a breath. I close my eyes. I strap it on. And then I test my point two times, and then that's good to go. Here you go. We'll now yep. be watching that keenly. Um, oh, yeah. You'll see it. It's, it's notable. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Absolutely. What song are you, Claire, going to be adding to our game day uh, playlist? Ooh. What's your hype song? My hype song? Uh, oh, am I 
Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Boss Bitch by Doja Cat. That is my warm-up yeah. song. Always. <laughs> always. Uh, I Every single competition, listen to it. It's the only song that is on my on-repeat that is always downloaded, and it will never not be downloaded. <laughs> there you go. She's in the mood. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Claire. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute joy, and you are so fun to talk to. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> all right, mate. I will see you on the peace thank you so much to Claire for joining us now Fano, if you're anything like me you are now desperate you want you need to see our mate Claire at the Olympics so let's make it happen we're going to jump over we're going to go to her give a little page and we're going to give what we can to help make her dream come true we're going to have the link on the women's sports page so make sure you jump over there and I'll see you in the comment section